Welcome to the Relentless Pursuit Podcast. A great task remains, and we all have a role we can play. But what do we do with the questions we have about missions, about walking with God, about ourselves? Well, here's a space for us to wrestle and discover together. We don't have to have it all figured out to take our next step. Well, gang, today is the first of a two-part series we're going to do, hearing from two halves of a power couple. Steve and Sarah are leaders within Pioneers, and I am thrilled that we get to interview both of them separately, so they each have their own um, chance to share what God has done in their lives. So today kicks off our interview with Steve. He has been with Pioneers since 1998. He is the father of two beautiful daughters, husband to one beautiful wife, and is currently serving in Germany. Uh, He actually oversees a number of regions within Pioneers, one of them being Europe, which is obviously where he's currently living. Uh, So Steve, welcome. Um, I can't wait for everyone to get to hear from you. So could you please share with us a bit more about where you have been within um, your ministry working with Pioneers? Yeah, sure. Hi, Emily. It's great um, to be with you and thanks for having us on uh, we started in ministry uh, back in the 80s, if you can believe that. Um, I worked in the inner city of uh, Philadelphia and then spent three years in the Caribbean in Haiti and then uh, on a medical ship in Africa for several years. That's where I met Sarah. And I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version. I'm sure she'll give you That's my, great. Uh, the detailed <laughs> okay. version. But um Yeah, so we joined Pioneers then in 97, and we're in Senegal for several years, working among the Wolof people, the unreached Wolof Muslims of northern Senegal. And then the Lord brought us back to Orlando, where I actually worked in your office for three years, uh, serving on the edge. And then after those three years to France, where we actually immigrated to France, became French, and led uh, our church planning work in Europe and are currently in Germany. So a little bit of every continent, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like. That's incredible. I Wow, I love getting to hear um, where y'all have been. Uh, well, today, I mentioned this earlier, but the topic that we have wanted so badly to dive in uh, with you here, Steve, is mobilization. And of course, you know, I serve on what is called the mobilization team, but perhaps that holds some different weight with some different people. So to kind of kick us off here, uh, could you, first of all, explain to us what you feel like mobilization is? What, what are, what's kind of the definition within that um, term that we use? And then share with us what happened in your life that made you so hyped about mobilization? Where did this come from? Absolutely. So I I guess I don't have a textbook definition of what mobilization is. It's uh, simply in my mind, just um, getting people in touch with the call that God has in their life to move overseas and engaged uh, mission among the unreached. So uh, I don't know if that fits into the textbook definition, but uh, what made me so excited about it is that um, uh, several things. Uh, first, just looking at at God's word, you see he's constantly sending people. He's constantly moving people around and constantly working through people to to reach the unreached. And um, like I, I think of um, of Luke 10 in particular, where 
Jesus is just sending out the, the 72 and um, he tells them to go out two by two. And, um, and then he pauses and says, wait a minute, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. And then he goes back and he says, go, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And you see that, 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 that verse uh, uh, two just sandwiched in between their going. And you think um, here he's just sending these people out and he's yet calling them to be very aware that that's not enough. And um, he pauses and says, wait a minute, pray earnestly that God sends out more people. Even as you're going, um, don't think about your packing, about your trip, about all these other things, these practical things that we as missionaries get so wrapped up in. But he said, think about uh, the fact that there needs to be more workers. And he said, pray earnestly. And that word in Greek is um, deomahi, and it actually means beg the Lord. So we're um he's challenging us to beg him to send out more workers and uh that other word send out is another greek word that means to thrust kind of haphazardly and um you know that's i think one of the exciting things to me is that you know we can have all these plans and uh, think i have a strategy to get to the unreached but we don't put those plans first. We put just the passion that we have to see God magnified among the nations first. And often that just means kind of a haphazard sending out. So um, that that motivates me, but also just practically uh, having been called to a team ministry like Pioneers, uh, I see, I think the longer well, let me back up. When I first engaged mission, I thought I could do anything, right? Kind of a, an army of one. I think the um, as a Native American, the SEAL team talks about an army of one. And so I wasn't thinking about what I couldn't do. But the longer I got into missions, the more I realized I have a small, limited gift mix. And I desperately need, the kingdom of God desperately needs me to be with people who have different giftings. So um, just being called and passionate about team means we're called and passionate about mobilization. And then lastly, uh, just in humility, uh, when we moved to Senegal, we were in Senegal for uh, four years. We were just settling into language learning. We had had all the typical rocky starts um, and we were just getting into a rhythm where we thought, you know, we can do this for the rest of our lives. Now, we had been bringing along a team the whole time we were there, and sometimes you end up putting more energy into the team than you do into the local culture and the local language. And um, and then at the five-year mark, our second daughter was born, and she was born with a uh, complicated blood disease. And long story short, my wife will get into that that story probably, but long story short, after a brief period of three weeks, it became clear we could no longer stay in Senegal. Our daughter was um, in need of regular blood transfusions, and we were then um, sent back to the U.S. And had we not invested in mobilization, had we not invested in team and in others, I don't think the work would have continued that we had started. So and that wouldn't that would be not that wouldn't be fair to the Wolof because the Wolof desperately needed to hear the gospel, and um, 
our role was was only for five years. Others came that we uh, had helped recruit and mobilize and stayed 13 years. Um, uh, one of the, the lady that took over for us as team leader was much better at Wolof and much better at reaching the particularly the women of Senegal. And it was just a joy as the Lord pulled us away to see people that we had invested in just go way beyond where we could have gone. So those are some just practical reasons as to as to why I'm passionate about mobilization. Just not realizing, not not really thinking that we have everything in us, but we are just one part of what God wants to do. And he's going to use other people to do the rest. So... Oh, totally. And it sounds like mobilization, while it's been a thread throughout your whole story, has just looked different. It, it's It's been amplified over time, even as you've seen God do a work and uh, move you all around. And, and for you and Sarah to be, I mean, it sounds like obviously for you to have moved so many times and been devoted to so many different kinds of ministry in different countries and people groups that within mobilization, it sounds like is this incredible uh, open-handedness, I guess, of, you know, I'm not going to really dig my heels and, and uh, just be so planted that I can't be uprooted and that God can't continue to mobilize me and send me. And so I feel like, you know, even hearing you and Sarah's story, it sounds like that is a, that is a beautiful picture of mobilization, that at any time God could call me and I will go. And I think that's just an incredible uh, illustration, Steve. So you mentioned kind of uh, with that within the process of mobilization that um, there's kind of within the ter- interpretation of that there's this almost randomness or haphazardness of being cast out um, or, or scattered. I'm not sure how you how you worded that being mm-hmm. um, being sent. And so within you also mentioned um, kind of within the process of mobilization um, to not be so fixed on it. And I, I'm really interested in that. I want to hear more. So in your mind, is there some kind of checklist uh, of that we should know about before being sent or did you fulfill one? What did it look like for you to kind of be sent originally? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think I wanted there to be a checklist, but uh <laughs> Don't we all? There, you know, if I do one, two, and three, then I'm ready, and I'll never have any problems. And the Wolof will have been reached, the French will have been reached, but uh, uh, God doesn't work like that. So, I, um, you know, I, I think that the checklist was probably, and if I look at people being mobilized today, some of the stuff I'm looking for are um, are people who are learners. That's one of the. You know, you can come with, and let me, let me let me just say that, you know, I think we all want the next Hudson Taylor or the next William Carey to um, to suddenly just appear uh, in church one day and say, I'm ready to go and reach the unreached. Um, the trouble is, is that Hudson Taylors and William and William Careys are made. They're not born. And uh, I think that, you know, we have to embrace people where they are. And so often that's a very messy place. There's a lot of, of, of shaping and of transforming and of letting go that needs to happen. And man, if you ever want a, a cleanse, a spiritual cleanse in your life, engage mission. Because uh, in the process of moving co- cross-culturally, uh, a lot of the stuff that we just carry um, kind of in check 
comes out and the Lord just uh, rips that from us, strips that from us. So as I think of a checklist, I think, you know, I, I really, the one thing I want people to, to check is that, you know, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to be broken. I'm willing to do the hard things. I'm willing to follow through. Um, the practical things as far as checklists like money, money will, money has always followed, um, in the most part, always followed what God is doing, you know? And so I don't, I don't tell people focus on the money. I tell them, you know, focus on what God's doing in your life and, um, and be obedient. Another thing I look for are people that are already moving, you know, somebody who says, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start evangelizing and sharing my faith once I get to Africa or once I get to Asia, uh, you know, that, that rarely happens that way. Usually people are passionate about sharing their faith and proclaiming boldly the gospel uh, where they are. Um, that's sim- that's the biblical pattern we see. So I challenge people. I say, just, um, you know, start where you are reaching the unreached. And in the American context, we have so many opportunities with migrants um, and immigrants and refugees that, uh, we can go out and we can engage even the people God's put on our heart. We can engage them right where we are. So um, those are some things I look for uh, as far as other things on a checklist. Um, you know, a lot of the practical things, again, just kind of fall into place as uh, as people are passionate about about God and what he's called them to do. That's from my experience. Yeah, definitely. I I can often get kind of hung up on the checklist of, well, I got to finish Bible classes and I, I have to raise the support and things like this. And so I think for you to kind of share with us how even the heart of someone being sent, you know, the, the teachability, the humility, things like this. That, um, And I love that you said that the William Carey's of the world are not born, they're made. And so I, that's so encouraging for us to feel like, gosh, th- there's not some spectacular gene that we had to be born that's with right. um, to be able to be sent and to be sent well. Um, so thanks for sharing that. From a field perspective, I know that you and Sarah have been leaders throughout your time and pioneers. You've received teams, you've made teams, you've left teams, I mean, all kinds of transitions. But from your perspective, is there an urgency for us to go? So, uh, and if so, then what does the field need? Because I'm wondering if some of our listeners and people in the process are asking themselves, am I what they need? Like, am can I go? Can I be sent? Can I be received by a team? Absolutely. There, there is an urgency. And I think you even, I mean, if we back up 2000 years to this, um, this time when Jesus was sending out these, these 72, he was, he, he was conveying an urgency that's been passed down almost every generation. That same urgency still exists. And, um, and I think in, in addition to what I said about the checklist, you know, we're looking for people that are ready to learn and grow, ready to pick up their cross daily and follow the Lord. Um, I think we're also looking for people that, well, I know we're also looking specifically in places like Europe. We're looking for evangelists. Um, we're looking for people that have a skill at sharing their faith. I mean, we're all called to 
the work of an evangelist. We're all called to be able to give a, a reason for the hope that we have inside of us. Um, but there are those group of people that are just natural evangelists. I'm not one of them. Uh, the times I share my faith are, I have to step out of my admin, out of my um, teaching uh, giftedness and do something I'm not super comfortable at, which is pro proclamation of the gospel. Um, but we need those people who are natural evangelists. Um, and, uh, you know, those, it's interesting, those people, and if, if, if one of your listeners is now one of those evangelists, um, they don't fit into typical boxes where there's a bunch of checklists. Um, the meetings I've planned and I've invited evangelists, usually they show up late or they don't show up at all because they're out <laughs> sharing their faith. Um, and so if you're one of those people, don't give up. Um, we have people that will help you with the admin. We need you to come and embrace the unreached and share the gospel. Use your gift as an evangelist among the unreached. We'll help you learn language. We'll help you um develop uh, cultural sensitivity, but we need your passion. So, you know, you ask, is there anything that we're looking for as a team? I think that's one of the things, um, you know, another thing we're looking for are people that, uh, you know, do have that flexibility. Um, I think even now more than I was just talking with our, one of our leaders in the Middle East, and he was saying they're they're kind of redoing their policies and they're giving expectations to people that you, you might be in this country for three years. So um, what are you going to do when you get kicked out? And those are questions that we didn't we didn't talk about 10, 15 years ago. But today we're talking about them. We're seeing a record number of expulsions. And instead of those people just going back home and picking up where they left off, we're, we're providing leadership and opportunities for them to move to a neighboring country or to work with that same people group in Europe, in the diaspora of Europe. And um, so we're looking for people who are flexible. We're looking for people that definitely have a passion for Christ and definitely have a love for people. So I think those are some of the basics, but yes, there is an urgency. There definitely is an urgency. Hmm. Yeah. I love that even in the, what seems like the urgent state of even America right now, some of the greatest needs we have um, for uh, kind of our social um, and historical aspects. Like it's, it's so encouraging for me to hear that, you know, there will never not be an urgency of, of being sent and the word of God still being relevant and, and falling on those who may never hear. Um, and so I, yeah, that's encouraging to hear that. Gosh, we still, we, we can't forget this greatest mission, this that's greatest right. call that we have on our lives. Um, Steve, I've heard you mention this before, but I would love to hear a bit more about it. And I'm sure our listeners, I mean, yeah, this might be a very new thing for them to hear. So when we're considering um, missions and being sent and perhaps even where we would be sent, uh, I know that when a lot of people first encounter global mission, um, perhaps their minds automatically go to impoverished countries or places that have such a great physical need. So we assume that there's a spiritual need, a spiritual component with that as well. 
So in your experience, in your time traveling to almost every continent and being exposed to so many people groups and, and um, cultures, uh, where is this kind of toss up in the missions discussion about um, the impoverished countries being the most spiritually needy? So I guess I'm asking, you know, where, where should we go? Like, are there greater needs around the world than there are in others or yeah, I guess, I guess maybe you get what I'm saying at this point, but yeah. uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, um, you know, having served the first basically 12 years of our missions career in, in the, the developing world, either in Haiti or in different parts of Africa, I, I equated spiritual need with uh, material and social need. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the poor countries were the ones in need of the gospel. Uh, and that might have been true for a long period of time, but we're seeing the church grow so quickly in Latin America. We're seeing the church grow so quickly in sub-Saharan Africa that the spiritual need is no longer to send missionaries to those places, but to actually help them send missionaries to other places. Um, and so that, you know, as the Lord, as I mentioned at the very beginning, the Lord brought us from from uh, from from the from the developing countries to to France, to the birthplace of rationalism, to uh, and then to Europe, where you have countries like the Czech Republic, which has the highest percentage of atheists in the world. Um, you he brought us to oversee countries like Italy, where uh, spiritual healers outnumber doctors 15 to 1. And, mm. you know, places like France, where you have to drive two hours to get to a church, a Bible-believing church. Um, and we weren't ready for that. In fact, I had heard people say in, my pa in the past, you know, what do they, Europeans, need need Jesus for, they have money. I know that sounds ridiculous. I know that sounds um, idiotic, if you will. But but if you think about it, a lot of our, our missions philosophy has been towards equating material needs with spiritual needs. And I think, and I know we need to break out of that. And um, so that that's going to take a mind shift, especially for the American church. I work with a lot of Australians. They get that because they're much more in touch. Uh, Australian Christians seem to be much more in touch with the, the evils of secularism and how that has influenced the Australian culture. Uh, we in America, frankly, need to grow and understand the, um, the unreachedness of places like the Czech Republic, like France, um, like Italy. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that, uh, it's, it's been a pilgrimage for us. Um, but I tell you some of our moments in the Southwest of France, one of the most beautiful places in the world where, you know, when we used to live in Senegal, we'd come home to the U S and people would say, Oh, how can you live there? You know, the temperatures get to be 120. Um, I could never do what you're doing. And, um, you know, we kind of take those accolades like we're the heroic. And then fast forward 15 years to the southwest of France and we share what we're doing. And people say, 
can I come visit you? I've always wanted a vacation in that part of the world. And um, you just, there's a, a different way of, um, of understanding the spiritual darkness in France. But there is some places in France where uh, specifically, like if you take the Basque people, um, almost three and a half million Basque people live on the border of, of France and Spain. Uh, very few Basque believers. I don't think there's a church that is would consider it a Basque church. You have Spanish churches that have some Basque in them, and you have French churches with some Basque in them. But even in a place as as spiritually impoverished as Spain and France, you have another um, very needy people group. So, um, you know, they still, in fact, the Basque still pr- practice some of their animistic. Uh, animal sacrifices. I know we never hear about things like that, but, um, but that does happen. And, and then you see like the French, the rationalism, you know, the, the, to the French, the mind is, 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 is king over everything. And if it doesn't pass through the mind, then it doesn't exist. That that's basically what rationalism is. And that flies right in the face of faith. Uh, you look at the French Revolution, you know, some 250 years ago, and um, the French Revolution was basically, in the mind of the French today, the French Revolution was, let's get rid of these oppressive monarchs and let's get rid of the religion that they've used to control us for centuries and let's build a society around our mental capacity and that's you still see that up until today. So it's very hard for even French to come to faith in Christ because um, just confronting the aspect of faith, which is um, invisible and you can't see it, but it, it, faith in God is something that is it, it doesn't make sense in our minds sometimes. So. Um, yeah, there's lots of shifts that I think needs to happen. And then on top of that, you add in the fact that today there's about 70, I think 75 million displaced peoples in the world. I mean, the world is radically shifted. I I used to think, and I think people put the 1040 window out there as if you really want to be a missionary, you got to live within the 1040 window. And um, that's just not true anymore. I mean, that was a reality. That was something that was important, you know, the last part of last century. But today the world has just changed so much. You look at China. Um, I think I read I read an article recently that there are more evangelical believers in China than there are in the United States. Now, of course, you have a population of almost a billion and a half versus a population of 300 million. So that makes, you know, percentage wise, they're still much smaller than the U.S. Christians. But you wouldn't have said that 20, 30 years ago. So, um, and God is working in some of these places. Indonesia, um, we're starting to see the church explode. India, the church is exploding. So some of the, I would just encourage people to um, do your research, but then just ask the Lord, you know, the, 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 the world is open. Um, where do you want to send me? There is spiritual need everywhere. And there isn't one place that's greater than another. And lastly, um, some people have said, you know, in addition to the what do they need Jesus for? They have money comment. Uh, I've heard people say, you know, about Europeans, well, they had their chance to hear the gospel. What do they need to hear it again for? 
And my question to them is, how many times did you hear the gospel before you believed? And, uh, you know, rarely, I think, can we all say, oh, it was just one time and I just gave my life to Jesus at that time. Many of us had heard the gospel over and over and over again. And that's just God in his grace reaching us. So I don't know. I'm kind of long-winded. Sorry about that, Emily. No, no, no. I'm really glad you shared that. It's. I think that's really good to get the conversation going of, of doing our research and being, um, yeah, being aware, I guess, of where God might use even our specific passions and interests. We actually interviewed Rachel a couple of episodes ago. Um, if y'all got to listen to that, you you definitely should. If you haven't, but um, Steve, I know that she was once on your team, and for her, she was sharing something similar in that, you know, she always wrestled with the idea of, gosh, if I'm going to be sent, I feel like I need to go someplace that has perhaps a more blaring, you know, obvious need for uh, the gospel. And Mm. so she wrestled because she always had this great desire for Europe, for um, for France. And so she kind of felt that small kind of shame complex of, I don't know, I feel like I shouldn't be going to Europe. But right now what her life has looked like is sharing the gospel with a very secular people, a, a very um, worldly people that she meets daily in in Paris. And so uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting for us to kind of reshape our thinking from just being um, perhaps devoted to only certain parts of the world and neglecting others and now being aware of, gosh, where are those people groups tucked in kind of the the nooks and crannies around the world and, and displaced people and and things like this. Thanks for, thanks for sharing your perspective on that. That's, um, that's really helpful. I, gosh, I feel like I could ask you a million questions, but I kind of want to land on this final um, portion of mobilization. Um, Steve, I know you have great passion for this, and so I, I'm excited to hear more about it. But um, I know with like within the uh, mobilization process, for those who are maybe considering, uh, you know, God would you be sending me? Might I be someone who is a goer rather than a receiver or a prayer or someone who um, funds global missions? Um, I think there's always kind of in the back of our minds that mentality of, you know, I, I'll go f- for a time and then I will come back. Or um, maybe we think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sell everything because I, I know that I just want to go for a small season and and my, my home is uh, America or, you know, wherever state they're from, I guess. Um, but, but I'm only going to be a visitor overseas. And, and for, for some, that might be a really uh, appropriate mentality. And I know that for you, you and Sarah have kind of shaped your ministry, your time overseas with this home mentality of wherever you are, that is your home. And, and perhaps how that mentality has really influenced your um, ability to be sent for God to send you. And so can we hear a little bit about your understanding of that home mentality? Yeah, that's. Um, th- I think that's developed even further when our girls were born and we had uh, two um, two young children in tow. Uh, and I had talked to uh, um, one of the a missionary kid uh, representatives there at the at, in Orlando, Tim Smith, and he he um, gave me some pearls of wisdom. And he said, you know, make it in. Uh, a priority to give your children the gift of the culture they live in. 
And um, so as we brought our girls to France, they were two and almost four at the time. And we just said, you know, we're going to go all in and um, become French. You know, one of the things that uh, we um, that, that drove us was that First Corinthians 9, where Paul says, you know, I became all things to all people in order to save them. And, uh, you know, we'll, I, it, we will never become totally French. And I, I speak French pretty well. Uh, we actually immigrated and took on French nationality. And um, we did that to, uh, primarily to give our kids who have now been schooled uh, 12 years in the French school system to give them a, a cultural anchor and a culture identity in France. Um, but even bigger than that, you know, I, I, I felt like that becoming all things to all people it, it meant that we do go all in. Now, I don't, you know, we didn't stay in France forever. We were there 15 years. The Lord eventually, uh, through circumstances, brought us here to Germany. And boy, do I feel like a fish out of water here in Germany. I mean, this is a completely different culture than the French culture that we had made home. But, um, you know, I, I just encourage people. I say, you know, don't try and live with one foot back in the U.S. and one foot in the, among the unreached, um, it, it's not a conducive posture for, for number one, learning language. If, you know, we can travel so much easier these days than, our, than missionaries could have 100 years ago. So they had no choice but to go all in. You know, they would pack their bags and cough. They would pack their things in the coffins that they wanted to be buried in and you see cemeteries in Ghana um, of just missionaries. I mean, it's it's incredible to see the um, the martyr the martyr mentality that people had back, you know, just a hundred years ago. Um, but for us, it's so easy to come back and forth. You know, we can pick up a ticket for relatively um, for nothing, and we can live in these two worlds now with social media and now with um, the internet. We can you know, still keep our circle of friends on Instagram and on Facebook, or I know only old people use Facebook, right? So my daughters continually tell me, <laughs> but, um, we can keep, you know, we can keep all of our, our circles up in the air. And I, and it's really, it's really, um, I want to say people are missing out on the richness of integrating into the communities that God's called them to. Um, now, obviously, it would it was easier to integrate into France than it would have been into Senegal, where the um, educational system wasn't as um, as up up to par as the one in France. But um, but regardless, you know, he wants us to. I think for that purpose of sharing the faith with the people that we're called to um, to kind of go all in with them and. And um, and say, you know, I'm here 100 percent until the Lord calls me somewhere else. And that might be a year. That might be 10 years. It might be 20 years. Um, we don't know. So we have to go all in with the understanding that, you know, we hold these callings loosely and it's the Lord who moves us around. Um, you see the itinerant mission, the ministries of almost all the gospel heralds in the New Testament. And very rarely did you have people that go somewhere and stayed there. But when they did go there, they were all in. And um, I'm, I'm trying to encourage people with that again. 
just to um, really trust God that if he's called you to a people, he's going to he's going to give you the language. He's going to give you a passion for the culture and um, he's going to give you a love for um, even some of the weird things that uh, are totally against our culture. That's so good, Steve. Uh, I needed to hear that. I think I can often feel like, you know, it's it's really within me to kind of muster up all the grit I can to really mm. be in love with the people and to to get all my ducks in a row so that I can go and, and be sent well and all this. And and while obviously I I want to be um I I want to have diligence in the process and not just sleep on it, I think there's so much to say about how um God will direct our steps and give us this ability to be all in. I love that. I love that that phrase kind of as a banner over our relationship with God. And and that involves, you know, every aspect of our walk with God, I feel like, is that I don't want to have these reserves hanging all over me of, of well, I don't really want to give him my full yes, because X, Y, and Z, or I'm, I'm quite afraid of this aspect of missions or of people or of food or all these things that kind of come with it. But um, thank you for, for speaking to that. That's really encouraging. And I can certainly say with, with, um, great gratitude that for you and Sarah, I'm so glad that I can look at your life and I have seen, I've I've been able throughout your story to hear and really see um, that mentality of all in and and that example you've set. So thank you guys so much. I'm I'm really glad to have had this conversation with you and to have um, gotten a bit of insight into mobilization. Before we go, Actually, do you, you seem like the kind of guy that would have good uh, book recommendations for us. So have there been books that you've read that have helped you to learn more about this or, or um, to be more passionate or more familiar about mobilization? Oh, <laughs> you put me on the spot. <laughs> I don't mean to put you um, on the spot. I'm sorry. I have, uh, I'll have to give that some thought. Do you have like show notes I could put those in or? Show notes. Or something. Um, I, yeah, good question. There's so much available online these days that there's so many good articles that um, you can find on a, on a website called Audio Library. I think it's called. Or um, I'll put it in the show notes if that's okay. Okay. No, that's great. Sorry to put you on the spot there. No, uh, that's we will, good. We'll touch base about your about your recommendations there, and we'll put them in the show notes I'm a, for sure. I'm a, you know, one of the one of the very. My wife says one of the very um, negative parts about me is that I I collect books, and um, <laughs> and I read the first and the last chapter. So I have bookshelves full of stuff. Oh, hey, well, there's got to be something on there. That's, uh, there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, well, thank you so much, Steve, for your time today. We're really thankful for uh, your insight and your, yeah, your time with this. Yeah, thanks, Emily. And I really appreciate you and Courtney and the others there that have really given your lives to mobilizing. So um, anything we can do to help or encourage anybody wants to have any questions for us, please don't hesitate to put them in contact with us. Thanks for making time for our discussion today. If you've got questions or feedback, send us a DM on our Instagram at Relentless Pursuit Podcast or contact us through our website at RelentlessPursuitPodcast.org. You are not alone in the relentless pursuit of God's glory. We are here with you and are passionate about helping you take your next step.